week's guest is Ugo Gemino, who joins us from sunny and warm Phoenix, Arizona. Ugo is a classically trained chef and spent over a decade in the professional kitchens of multiple brigades across the United States, holding such positions as sous chef, chef de cuisine, executive chef, and several stages at Michelin kitchens. Ugo then transitioned out of the hospitality industry and into the fashion world where he worked for brands such as Brooks Brothers and Tom Ford for several years. Ultimately, Ugo made his way back to the hospitality industry where he worked for the Chicago Cubs baseball organization as director of operations premium. Eventually, Ugo moved to Phoenix, Arizona with his family where he is now a regular online contributor and content creator on multiple social media platforms. Ugo is also in the process of developing his short story cookbook of the industry. We really enjoyed our interview with Ugo, as it's a terrific life story, and you'll enjoy it too. Okay, welcome to yet another episode of the Industry Podcast. Uh, my name is Kip. With me, as always, is producer extraordinaire Dan Soretta. How are you? I'm still doing awesome. Yeah. No real complaints. Feeling much better. One of these days, you're just going to be like, I've, this, everything sucks, and I'm taking a bath with a hairdryer. <laughs> That's usually by the end of the work week. So yeah. that's, uh, yeah. and how are things going with you? Doing well. Like, uh, still dealing with the AGCO. So I, I also would like to take a bath with a hairdryer. Uh, <laughs> nice. Just trying to open a bar. It shouldn't be this difficult, huh. but uh, it yeah. always is. Yeah. It always is. Always doing, trying to do new shit, though. So, Stay tuned, Kitchener Waterloo. Uh, in the meanwhile, the places that are actually open at the fucking present time are uh, Sugar Run Bar, Kitchener. It's a speakeasy downtown at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram. Stay tuned for everything going on there. Lots of exciting live music, DJs, and burlesque shows coming up. Babylon Sisters, Uptown Waterloo, uh, Babylon Sisters Spirits and Wine Bar. Uh, we have lots of DJ nights. We have some live music coming up. Paul Mitchell and the Rum Runner is going to be playing there in the next couple of weeks on Thursdays. So check that that out as well. That's at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. You're going to want to check that out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, hypothetically, sometime in the future, there'll be other bars to tell you about. <laughs> if I can ever get through this fucking deal with the alcohol and gaming commission of ontario good luck yeah yeah i need it <laughs> we should also tell you that if you're a fan of the show uh the best way to support us subscribe rate and review costs you nothing takes very little amount of your time but helps us tremendously so think about that think about it that way mm -hmm. if you want to be a guest on the show it's info at the industry club or you can DM us directly as our guest today did at the industry podcast on Instagram. Zach Hanna, Zach Hanna.co, Z A K H A double N A H dot co. That's the man who does our uh, graphics for Instagram. You, it's a lovely page. I'm sure you've seen it. Check him out for all of your graphic arts needs. He is a graphic arts genius. Sure. Check him out. Uh, Check him out. Instagram profile as well. There's a link, uh, I think, in the show notes to that. If not, uh, we'll put it in there. Mm -hmm. uh, that's it. Well, you got anything else to talk about? I got nothing smart to say at the best of times. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's go to our guest <laughs> then. Hugo Gamino coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona. How are you? Good, fellas. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Uh, doing great. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for yeah. doing this, man. Um, yeah. Amazingly, we've had a incredible number of people from phoenix for some reason yeah yeah in the last couple of weeks spent about four or five i think which is kind of for one area mm -hmm. well we do a recurring 
feature with Aliza, the badass bartender, mm-hmm. uh, who's pretty famous on Instagram right now. Yeah, Kim so, Hasserud, who's from there as well. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about Arizona, but is it Arizona loves the industry podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about Canada either. I've, I've gotten a strong Canadian following uh, recently. So oh, it's, is that right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, this. This will be my second Canadian podcast that I've been on. The other one was more of like on the fashion side, but it's it's interesting that uh, the 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 love that I'm getting from Canadians north of us. Oh, nice. So, are you still doing fashion stuff? No, 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 no. Oh, uh, yeah. I I stopped. Like I would say maybe five, six years ago. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get into that, but like, okay, let's start. But like, how did you get into the service industry originally? Yeah. So out of high school, I, I feel like this is like a tale that a lot of chefs have, you know, like kind of fuck up in school. wasn't really like, uh, <laughs> you know, self-diagnosis, ADHD kind of thing where, you know, right. I played sports, I played baseball my, you know, my entire life and uh, into junior college. And sports was my thing. And I thought that sports, if I, I grew up in a border, a border town in South Texas. And I, I, I thought that if I was going to get out, I was going to get out through education, the army or prison. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when it was ironically enough, like I wasn't doing great in school, but, you know, I was still getting by and uh, my mom and, and my grandfather, they cooked, you know, like they, my grandfather would buy goats and butcher goats and pigs. And, you know, I, I, I grew up seeing that. So that was just like normal to me, but it wasn't until my mother got sick. I think it was my junior year and uh, we were going to do Thanksgiving. She was like, I'm not going to do it this year. And I said, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Like I, I've seen you do it every year. Let me try it. Like if nothing else, it's just like you, my two older brothers and like, nobody's going to taste it. So long story short, it worked out. Um, that's kind of what got my first inception of idea. But then I picked up uh, Kitchen Confidentials from Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. as a senior in high school. And it was like the first time that I had heard someone speak about like vagabonds and like weirdo drifter kind of people. And there was like a a career for them, right? Like there was like an industry for them. It was food and beverage, right? Like you were either back of the house, front of the house, or you were a bartender. And it was like, this was like the perfect world for you, right? So if you were kind of like a misfit in your regular life, like this was, this was it for you, but it was a grueling ass industry, right? It was like, you were going to make your bones and it was going to be hard. And like, there was just something super like sexy, romantic about like the nastiness of it, the way he wrote it. And I just, I was like full blown determined to like go into that industry. And I had like a really shitty ass guidance counselor in high school where I, you know, I asked her like, hey, where's the best culinary school? I want to go there. And she gave me two options as a kid that was not at the top of the class. She was like, well, maybe you should join the military and become a cook. Wow. Or or work your way up in McDonald's, you know. Really? Uh, Holy fuck. Yeah, those are the two options that fucking lady gave me. And uh, it stuck with me. But I had an awesome teacher in high school that was just like, no, fuck that. Go look at this school. This is like a community college uh, culinary program. They have it there. So I did that for like six months after I graduated. And I was like, no, like I want to be in great kitchens. I want to be in, I I don't want to just do cafeteria style stuff. So I essentially like from there, I kind of worked my way up in the 
in the ranks in Texas, Washington, D.C., you know, Chicago. I ran me out, I ran two kitchens in D.C. Uh, I staged in a couple of Michelin star restaurants. And I was in it for like 11 years. So this is like around now, like around 2011. I, we were living in D.C., my wife and I. And, um, and I was starting to really question like what I was doing because it was, you know, six days a week, 16-hour shifts. Ooh. just the grind of the industry right like the and and i i was lucky enough i still say this to this day i was lucky enough to come through that era of break your bones in the industry right like you know you have a chef that like cusses your ass out and brigade style like you you are there from dust till dawn and you are doing everything and anything in the kitchen and i loved it i loved the grind of it but i was not seeing my family it was just you know and it's funny because i was listening to one of your your previous guests um, a chef that i highly respect ron mckinley mm-hmm. and he said you got to be like you got to be fully fucking in it right like and every chef knows that every not only chef but i think that every hospitality industry individual understands that and it's like one of those things where you look to the right and left of your of your guys, and when you're not fully in it, and somebody's picking up your slack, you're like, "Hey, I'm I'm fucking these guys up," and right. either I'm in or I'm out, right? And I think at that point in my life, I was like, "I just can't do it anymore." Like I I just I I I saw a lot of my buddies, you know, shooting themselves up, highly alcoholics. Uh, I mean, I I went as far as like just smoking cigarettes. I never did any heavy drugs and things like that. But I just, I didn't, I wasn't judging them because I was like, man, you got to get through it. However you need to get through it. Right. It's, it was, it was a grind. And I was just like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I've done this for 11 years. That's interesting though. Like, cause you're like making the conscious decision to be like, I'm letting people down. So I got to like, like you're, it's not, it's, it's almost more about letting down your team than letting yourself down. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like the the word brigade, right? Like you're you're in a brigade, and it's very military and style mindset in a in a kitchen where you almost kind of sacrifice yourself for the betterment of like the guy to your right and your left, right? So it's like if you're falling behind, you're 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 fucking somebody else, and it, it becomes this thing where you you're you feel shitty about feeling selfish about yourself, right? Like mm. you feel shitty about saying like, I can't do this anymore, man. I am not in love with it. Like other of my friends that are chefs that are running kitchens like I am are in love with it. And I, I just, I need to be honest with myself and I need to have that respect for my team before like it gets to a point where shit starts falling through the cracks, right? So that's kind of when like, talked to my wife and she was like look i'll I'll support you whatever you want to do the downfall was i didn't know anything else besides that right like that was my industry there's the fucking problem right yeah it's just a a short slide i kind of did the same thing i went like for many many years at the front of the house and then i was like i gotta do something else i'm letting the business that i work at down i like the people who i worked for and i was like i gotta get out of here and i went then i was like great i'm gonna go do something else but i was like you know, in my thirties at this point, I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, And, you, I, you, and you, I got the worst job ever, but it sounds like you got a good job. So talk about what happened to you. Well, in, in title, right. It was a good job, but so 
like after that happened, I had made friends on the East Coast and a lot of my friends were artists and um, some were in the fashion industry. And one of my friends was like, look, man, um, I work for this brand, Michael Kors, the clothing brand. He's like, I work for this. They're looking for a visual merchandiser. And literally all you have to do is just fucking dress mannequins, right? Like you're a creative guy, but you don't need brains for that shit, right? Like you just, you know, you get a salary, you get insurance and you're good so i was like yeah i need a job fuck it let's do that so i did that and i started doing that and it became pretty good at it but then i started opening stores and i started doing trainings and then and then i got recruited with brooks brothers and then i started doing product development with them and opening up stores with them and then that's kind of where like the idea the inception of like the fashion i think it boils down to like i i love being creative Mm-hmm. And it just went from one format to another, right? Like creating well, food. Yeah. To- creative cre- creativity flows through all genres, right? Yeah. Like if you're a creative person, you can be creative doing whatever someone directs you to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It might not be your might not be your passion, but it's not going to stop your creativity. Yeah, it was just like a different medium of being mm-hmm. able to have like some sort of self expression. So that um, I started really like thinking about it and really like putting pen to paper and be like, all right, you know what? Like I can't, if I'm going to be a designer, I can't be a designer without any formal education. Like you can somewhat like bullshit your way through some kitchens and then earn your bones while you're in it. Um, which there was a lot of kitchens that I did that through where I was just like lied on my CV. And then, you know, once I was there, I proved myself because I just busted my ass and, but in fashion, it's a little bit different, right? Like you need to know kind of illustration and all these kind of things. So, um, my wife and I looked at different fashion schools and we found, I'm originally from Chicago. So we found the art Institute of Chicago and I said, fuck it, we're going to go there. And the beauty of it was was like, I'm going to be a student for the first time in my life and I'm not going to work in corporate America. I'm not going to be a leader. I'm not going to be like leading a team and I'm just going to get a job as a server. And I'm just going to be a dude that like puts all his efforts into his craft. And that's what I did. And but I was fortunate enough to get a serving job at a restaurant group, uh, Let Us Entertain You. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have like 56 restaurants across the country. Cool. Uh, they have a whole bunch of like uh, award-winning chefs. Uh, the founder is a James Beard award-winning like restaurateur, you know, uh, Rich Melman, which later became one of my or my main mentor. Um but I went in there with such bravado, right? Like as a server. And it was like, this is so fucking part-time. Fuck this. Like you guys are servers. I'm going to be a designer. I was a chef. And you, you just go in. And I was quickly, like, I, I, I always tell people that that was my favorite job, my favorite four years of my life, because it was such a kick in the nuts and such a beautiful, like humbling <laughs> experience. These people, like when you talk about like, and I'm not talking about just like servers, I like your regular just I'm talking about like professional service and individuals and hospitality individuals. This is like the first time where I worked in a space where like literally everybody studied, everybody was just on it. It was like the servers, the barbacks, the the polishers, everybody was 1000% committed to the goal of servicing the guests at the highest level. Right. And, and it was, for me, it was, it was really nice because I came in there and I thought, you know, this is so part-time. I'm an art student. Like, this is nothing to me. I'm not doing this. 
And I quickly got humbled by how stupid I was in an, in an area or how stupid I felt in an industry that I felt that I knew for so long, right? Like um, every day I went in there, I, I learned something new. And I'm not just talking about from cooks and barbacks and bartenders and wine directors. I'm talking about from the polishers to the prep cooks. Like these guys were just units in the kitchen and it just, it drove each other to work harder. And it really taught me what great leadership was, what innovation really meant. Um, service was like at the top of its game and it really changed my perspective and it really helped me in design, you know, like the attention to detail really like was something that I had never seen before, before jumping into this restaurant. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I went from, uh, the food industry into the fashion industry. And then around the time where I was like kind of submitting my resumes to fashion houses, cause I was, I had gotten an internship with uh, Tom Ford, the designer, and I was working there for a year. And I thought that I was like, I'm for sure going to put in my application. I was telling my wife, I was like, get ready. We're either going to move to California, New York or Europe, like wherever we go, like we didn't have kids. So we're just like, we'll fucking go anywhere. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, um, okay, uh, I, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just gonna stop you right here because I I'm very interested. Like when you're doing an internship for Tom Ford, like what is what are your day to day responsibilities? I think people would be interested in hearing that. Yeah, so um, in the beginning, it was like they hired me because like I had visual merchandising experience, right? And right. I had been calling them for like a year trying to get an internship with them, and they were like, and it's like working for Tom Ford is like trying to get a job with the CIA. It's like, yeah. it's nobody answers, nobody calls you back. And it's so hard, but I would. That's also like trying to get a liquor license from the AGCO. But. Yeah. Well, I, I was <laughs> earlier, earlier, you were talking about liquor license. I was like, I wonder if it's just as hard and annoying uh, as it is in Chicago. Like, just, this is so, yeah. um, that was just a side joke, but I, but I actually am interested in this. Sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, so my thing was like, I'm, I'm a very persistent guy. Like when it comes to like, if there's something I want, I, I will chase it down and I will chase it down. Not when the moment is right, but like I'll chase it down and like, tell them, look, man, I'll, I'll be maintenance. I'll clean shit out of a restroom. I'll throw trash out. I'll be like, I'll work in your shipping and receiving. If you just let me work in this building and then let me start. So essentially like that, one of the managers was just like tired of having me come in twice a week and like roaming around asking for him that he was just like, all right, look, man, the corporate director of merchandising is coming in next week into our store and you could talk to him, like stop bothering me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So <laughs> I did. He basically like gave me free range of the store and said, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to style four mannequins. I want you to rearrange the section and I want you to bring back like four or five sketches of yours, like that you would say that would work with our brand. Right. So I did that. Um, didn't say anything, but then like a week later, it was like, yeah, you got the job. So basically I was helping re-merchandise the store at first. And then I would pull pieces for like fashion shows and for like, uh, for what they're called showcases where you like present it to new collections, things like that. So that was basically like what I was doing. And all the while, like every time my boss would come in a visit, which was like every other week, I would throw him like 10 to 15 sketches. 
every week was like, really? this is what I'm doing. Holy yeah. So it was like, this is what, and that's not what he was asking for, but that was just like, <laughs> it was just like, this is, this is what I'm working on. He's like, okay, 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 okay. He's so, like, can yeah, I, I, mean, can I get your of, punch card? You're like, here's a sketch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, here's the thing, and I think that that's the beauty of like starting my career back of the house is that everything I did after that sent, seemed on an easier level, right? Right, because like it's hours. a hustle. It's the fucking yeah. hustle, right? Like, and you yeah. know, like, for instance, if you're trying to get like a new recipe on the menu at a place that you work at, what do you have to do? You just got to keep fucking peppering yeah. people until they take you seriously. Yeah, it, it, is it just, it, did, it didn't bother me to keep grinding. It just, uh, like, right. I grew up in that grind mentality. My brothers, my mother, like, you know, like, that's always, you know, before education, my mother instilled hard work. So it was like, you know, you might be smarter than me or you might have talent over me, but you, there's no chance in hell that you're going to outwork me. And I have more endurance than you. And like, when it comes to getting your teeth kicked in. Right. So it was like, I always took pride in that. So it was just, that's the longevity of like what it's taken me to, but, you know, fast forward and I'm serving tables one night and I'm submitting my resumes. And then this couple comes in with their kid. And my friend was like, man, I don't want to fucking serve them. They have a two-year-old. Fuck that. I don't like, nobody likes serving kids at a fine dining restaurant. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you know what? It's, it's early in the shift. It's like four o'clock. Like I'll, I'll take it, man. Don't worry about it. Like fuck it. Everybody deserves a good time. And I, I, I genuinely believe that, right? Like I genuinely thought, Hey man, like they, they fucking deserve just as good of a time as yeah, they're paying, they right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking, we're chatting it up. And he said that he had just moved to Chicago because he took on a new job. And, you know, it's kind of a big profile job. And, you know, he asked me about my background and how I played baseball. He played baseball. Um, and I was a chef and just all that stuff. And at the end of it, he, he slides me his card. And like, as you know, like in this industry, a lot of people slide you your card, right? Like, it's just like, hey, you know, come work for me. Like, and it's half the time it's like, computer sales or tech sales you'd be great at sales and yeah. that kind of shit right yeah. so half the time i was like no so he sized me his card and it looks super bootleg because it literally just has his name and nothing else on it and i was just like all right man this you got these made at kinko's like i don't know what the hell you actually do um you're gonna show up like, at his your... house and no, who knows what's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> so he, puts it, he said you know put your email on it as well so i was like i put my email on it and I didn't think nothing of it. And then two weeks later, he gives me a call back and he's like, Hey man, I would like for you to come by the office and really, you know, I would like to talk to you about this idea that I have in my head about how you could be a part of this. Well, it turns out that the guy that I was talking to was the director of operations at Wrigley field for the Chicago Cubs. Oh, wow. Fucking crazy, man. Yeah, yeah man. Total fake. So what would happen, what had happened was that like six, seven years prior to that, the Ricketts family had, bought the Cubs like they had bought the Cubs and they had a vision to like redevelop the entire neighborhood and kind of re not rebrand the Cubs, but elevate the brand of the Cubs. Right. Like that we, you know, every sporting event is hot dogs and burgers. And they were like, oh, look, we already do that at the maximum level, but I want to capture the premium spaces. Right. Like I want to create restaurants. I want to recreate the, the suite levels. I want food and beverage to be at the highest level in these like premium restaurant spaces. So the idea that my boss, my old boss had was we need to bring somebody in that has 
restaurant fine dining experience, right? And from our conversations of my background, from being not only like running kitchens on the back of the house, but working front of the house and also having design background, he was like, look, man, you might never get an opportunity like this again, where you have an opportunity to create menus, beverage programming, design uniforms, design like interiors of restaurants, essentially create your own restaurants. Cause I had told him that I wanted to open a restaurant or a bar like in the future. And he goes, this is your opportunity on somebody else's dime. Like, mm-hmm. and that's, and he's like, that's my pitch to you. I don't know what else you got on the table. I don't know. But what hang on. This, this all just came from like a fucking great service that you gave him at a yeah, table man. one night. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. So it, it is because I, I always tell people like, there's like, there's these two things, right? These parallel things called like luck and at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I always say like that, if that individual is not like actively like searching and aware and ready for that. And, right me, time, and meeting the moment when the moment arrives. Yeah. 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 And, and honestly, like, I think that there was like equal parts luck and there was equal parts like right place at the right time. But then there was also that equal parts of like my belief in hospitality that everybody deserves the the best service every single time regardless of who you are and like what your background is because i could totally have met that table with the same attitude that my coworker right would have met it and it nothing would have happened right? right like but because i genuinely like cared that they had a good time that they enjoyed themselves that that they didn't feel like a nuisance because they had a two-year-old at a fine dining restaurant like it, it was like my job in my head to make them feel comfortable and not me make them feel any less. Of right. Like, and, yeah. and, and as an aside, like you only had to deal with that two year old for the, the, that part. Exactly. He, has to, he has to go home and deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I know, right. Like, now, now, you know, you know, you got kids, like, right. Yeah. I, I like totally get it. Like I completely avoid going to restaurants now just because like, I don't want to deal with the ass. Oh, okay, so um, but, yeah. but but that's fucking incredible. Like, what an incredible story. Um, like, and you like you said, like if you weren't ready to meet the moment at that time with like being a professional and realizing that everybody deserves the same service, no matter how annoying their table might seem or whatever, you you ne- this never would have happened to you. But also, like you said, like right place, right time. So now tell us, like, what was your like? What do you do in day to day at Wrigley? Yeah. So fast forward when I'm in it or whatever, like basically I jumped in when the restaurants had already, the concepts had already been developed, right? Like I showed up and they were like, this is what the restaurants are going to be. And this is what the uniforms are going to be. And these how the drinks are going to be. And from my understanding, the way my boss put it to me was like, if you like it, great, tweak some things. But if you don't like it, like it's on you and you change it, but it's, you know, and I said, I will never get this opportunity ever again in my life. I might never get this opportunity to be able to create restaurants on somebody else's dime on 100% my vision. And at that time, for many, many years, I had always doubted my creativity or like my vision. And at that time, I was like probably at the most confidence I had been in myself. And I said, they hired you for a reason. Fucking go for it. If, if nothing works, you go back to waiting tables and you go back to like looking at resumes or like applications for fashion right so i didn't like anything that i saw 
I, 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 it was very on the same line. Was it was Facebook. it the white and blue pinstripes? Yeah, no, no. It was, it, 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 <laughs> I'm just it, kidding. No, so basically, it was how do I? It was like very catalog driven, right? Like they oh, had yeah. nothing to do with what like where the industry was going. Um, all the drinks were still very like sugar driven, like cocktails, like uh, everything was pre made, pre boxed, and. And I said, if you really want to give the client the premium experience, we have to change the food, but we have to change the service more than anything, first and foremost, right? Because mm-hmm. like, if we keep hiring people that just sling drinks uh, and food in a concession-style manner where you're like super sugary drinks, super sugary, like you're not going to get somebody that cares for the craft of making oh, cocktails interesting. or cooking food. So like you're like trying to bring like real industry professionals yeah, into, yeah. So I, into a sports stadium, which is like you said, like sports stadiums generally hire people who are just like know how to crack a beer open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what I did was I researched every single culinary program in the area, like at DePaul University, uh, Loyola, uh, all these universities. And I went to their I went to their hospitality uh, uh, department heads and I said, look, I want people that want to be in this industry in the future. People that want to, you know, work as restaurant managers, want to beverage directors, uh, culinary directors that are on a path to go into this route, right? Like that know that there is a hardship in this industry and kind of with their eyes wide open of what it is. And so I went and I recruited a ton of college kids to be kind of the beacon of like the shift leaders for these roles. Right. So my idea was if I can create a hospitality program where we get the leadership team, you know, supervisors, shift leaders to believe, and they will then trickle down that like training. So we started doing beverages from scratch. We started doing uh, simple syrups from scratch. We stopped buying, you know, uh, syrups. We uh, we cut everything. And in the stadiums, you don't really cut fresh produce. You don't order fresh produce. Right. So do you mind? Uh, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I just have a question about this specifically. Like at, at a massive operation like that, yeah. at, a, at a ballpark, like are, are you getting any pushback on like, because oh, that's, awesome. that's, that's got to be more cost for them as well, right? Like, they like on the cost level, my team, like my, you know, my account director, my purchasing director, they fucking like were so annoyed with me. Like they were <laughs> so they were so annoyed with me. But the fact the the thing that I had working on my side is I I had sold the, the idea to the client, the owner of the Chicago Cubs right. of this new vision I had for service, right? right. So when I got them on board, they were like, yeah, that's what I want. That's how we, and so my, I got in trouble in the sense of like, I went off the rails and I pitched an idea to the owner of the Cubs and he liked it. And now my team's like, well, where are we going to eat the cost? Right. And I said, look, man, the the ROI, the return will be there in the end. Right. Right. But if we don't do this right, we're just going to be like every other ballpark. And the rule of thumb that I had was, if another stadium is doing it, I don't want to do it. Right. right. Like that was my, my like idea. Um, so the day-to-day operation was in the beginning was 
bringing in every single member of service in that building. And I literally wrote an hospitality manual from scratch of like what that building needed to run. Like when steps of service, we taught, I taught them about wine service. And I'm, and I mean that I'm teaching people in concessions about wine because I figured everybody at the same level has to serve the same way. Right. Like that was my biggest belief. Right. Um, and luckily we were able to do it. And I was able to partner with Maker's Mark Barrel. Uh, we created one of the restaurants that we created was the Maker Mark, Maker's Mark Barrel Room. Oh, wow. Um, and I created a cocktail. And this is around the time. What year was that? It's like 2018. Right. So this is around the time where like this, the like smoke drinks were had already were around before. But it was like when when it was really kind of starting like to be smoke drinks, the guns or like the torches. And I, I like I remember the last time the last time I was at Wrigley seeing that room there, and I was like, "What the fuck? They got a Maker's Mark spot here?" Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. what the beauty? So if if you would ever go, like they have a signature cocktail, right? Um, and this is what the of all the things that I've done, I've I've, I've been most proud of this, right? Because I'm not a beverage guy. I wasn't. I was yeah, a beverage you, you director. Grew up in the kitchen, right? Yeah. But yeah. when our beverage director left our corporate company to he went to aviation he took some kind of job there and it's and my boss was like we're gonna bring somebody else in they're gonna help with the beverage program and and like the guy that i am i said no fuck it i could do it like let me do it like let me do it and he's like are you sure and i'm like yeah so i didn't know what the fuck i was doing and you know respect to the beverage industry because it's hard but then as soon as i like kind of like simplified it in a way of like hey man you were a chef and you understand flavors and you understand how to build flavors. So if you take that same kind of concept and try to bring it into beverage, maybe you might have something, right? Like maybe something might work. A hundred percent, man. And like, that's the way cocktails are going now anyway. It's like, you need to have the chef background to do proper fucking craft cocktailing. So (laughs) you're right on point there. (laughs) It helped me that in that aspect. So the one thing I thought of, I was like, all right, let me sit down in every club and every restaurant. They wanted like a signature cocktail. They wanted something to be like, and for that club that year was going to be kind of like the crown jewel of the new clubs that were opening. And I said to myself, okay, like whiskey, bourbon, like, what do I like with that? And I remember thinking like, well, I like a cigar with that. And I was like, what flavors do you like? And I was like, well, I like like chocolate. I like that kind of so this kind of inception of like drink making i created the cigar manhattan where basically like um i rubbed down the cigar in a one inch piece in kind of like cacao powder i then um torch it cover the glass instead of like the traditional manhattan glassware that you would use i use the sifter glass because i figured like the sifter glass created more of a dome and the smoke can like aerate a little bit more. Um, so then you cover it and then I build it the same way as I did with the, the um, Manhattan would be built, but instead of like the regular bitters, I used Aztec chocolate bitters. So I really wanted that kind of like nutty chocolate flavor. Um, and then you turn it over, you pour the drink and it was kind of, the, that's why I said it was like, sure. kind of like the, 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 the craze of smoke drinks. It was so like, wait, back it up though. Like you're using an actual cigar. Yeah. So here's the here's the point that I'm going to get to. Yeah. When I presented it, everybody loved it. When I because at the end of the before the season starts, like six months in advance, you present 
to the client, the owners, everything that you have planned and everything that I have put together, right? So when I did that drink, they absolutely loved the presentation of like making the drink, the cocktail, all that stuff. Then the first thing that came out was like, how the fuck are we going to put smoke in a stadium? Right. Like you, you can't have, you can't have c- cigarette or cigar smoke in a stadium. It's just like the regulations. Well, they loved the drink so much that they went to the point of being the first. And I don't know now, but I know for sure it was the first to get a legalized smoking license at a sports venue because they wanted that drink. Really? <laughs> so Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field has a, uh, in that room, not everywhere, but like they have uh, a, a smoke, like a, a smoking lounge almost. Yeah. But they, you can't smoke in there, but they allow the, the licenses only to like that drink. Really? Yeah. That's fucking so sense, man. Other, yeah, man. Thank you. So that's why <laughs> I feel like that was like the one big accomplishment, like one of the biggest accomplishments that I did. It was like, like, Shit, I, yeah. I, <laughs> so, you know, then that sparked the conversation with construction of like, how high does the smoke go? And like the air vents and like, one thing trickles into another thing. So from there, I started learning a lot more about construction because it's like, okay, well, the bar height needs to be lower because the smoke reaches a certain height. And then like, it's enclosed. It's not an open air venue. So it was just like these things that I started learning on the job. Yeah. That's crazy, man. What a crazy fucking story. That's like, (laughs) you've, you've, you've had quite the fucking career, man. Like I gotta say that's like, and that I was super interested to talk to you about just like, the whole experience with Wrigley, like how many people do you get? Do we have the pleasure to talk to? Of, like we've never talked to anybody who's done that. So no. and we, what what episode are we on now? One hundred and forty nine. Yeah. So wow. Uh, yeah. So congrats. Uh, uh, well, no, thanks, man. Like this is a super fascinating story, and especially like we're big sports fans. I've been to regular Wrigley several times in my life. It's one of my favorite places on earth. Um, outside of Fenway, which is still the best yeah. park, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're both historic, man. So it's like, yeah, yeah. it works well together. Yeah. But, uh, that, that's, that's a crazy fucking story, man. So, okay. So how, so when do you leave there and how do you end up in Phoenix? Yeah. So my wife and I always, like, I always wanted, I think around that time when I was like, you know, shit, you start like seeing everything that you've done and everything that you like created and you start your your confidence starts building in a, in a good way not a pretentious way but like you're like hey man i can i can do this like i i can create concepts i can organize i can you know the operations of it i can do that as well um and my wife and i had always kind of we wanted a i wanted to do a restaurant group and me and my wife really wanted to do a coffee shop so our like let's start with a coffee shop and kind of go from there right um well 2009 the 2020 season was going to be my last one where i was just like all right we're after the 2020 season we're going to go for it we had been scouting locations in chicago for spots to to create uh to create the coffee shop and and we had we were like three weeks away from like putting a down payment on like a space for like okay we're and then covid happened Mm. right like COVID, my son was born 2019 december 2019 we were on like paternity leave and then i like two weeks into me being back to work COVID hit so we were all kind of like on a standstill of like what's going to happen with the season we don't know like 
Um, we had been a week away from opening day. So we were, everything was like loaded into the stadium product had been delivered, like ordered all that stuff. So I, I we kind of pumped the brakes on the idea of like the coffee shop, but I was still working on it during COVID because like there was no work. I mean, yeah, what we had, else, what we else are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, you know what? Like, let me really dive deep into developing this idea, like the, the restaurant. And when I and when it got deeper into the summer of like, yeah, we don't know what the hospitality industry is going to look like. Like guests are going to come. We don't know how long this is going to last. I pivoted the idea to an e-commerce site, right? To so I was like, you know what? Like let's let's create our let's source our beans, let's roast our beans, let's set up e-commerce, but then let's partner up with a whole bunch of like uh luxury coffee brands like uh goat. Goat Story, uh, Fellow, like all these brands and we made partnerships with them and we sold their products. So kind of like a boutique shop. And then like the idea was like, oh shit, we can do this from anywhere, right? Like if right. we're doing an e-commerce shop, we can do this from anywhere. My wife's originally from Arizona and I think us having our first child and being isolated in Chicago and mm-hmm. living away from home for so many years, like DC for eight, Chicago for seven I think we were just like, shit, we're done being in this like 700 square foot condo with no backyard, no space to walk anywhere, like no parking. Like we, we need some air, right? Like we need, we need something. So I think that that's when um, I told my wife, if the, if the season comes back, we're staying, I'm, we're going to finish off the season. I'm going to honor that with the team, but nothing was happening, right? Like nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. And so I felt guilty within myself to stay there knowing that I was going to leave, right? Like knowing that there had been a mass layoff of like 64 employees at my, at our campus or with the stadium or what we call it. And I felt really guilty of being this guy that was getting paid, knowing that I was going to leave. And there's other people that had gotten let go. And I told my oh, wife, you know what? Right. I said, fuck this. Like, I, I'm going to call it like, we're going to do it. We're going to leave. And like, you know, maybe I'll like, maybe if I leave with my salary, they might bring some other people back. Right. So in June, no. Yeah. Like in June, I told my boss, Hey, I'm going to leave, but I'm not leaving until September, but I'll, I'll leave in a month. So you guys can try to bring some people back. And he was like, um, you know, rightfully so he was kind of like, why are you doing this? You know, this is secure. This is like, you should, uh, you're risking a lot, you know? And we did, we risked a lot. We, we went forward with that plan. You don't seem like a guy who's a burst of risk, though. So <laughs> no, no. And I, the the worst fear that I would have, honestly, or the the biggest regret, I, if I didn't do it, that would eat me up more than yeah, like. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. That's exactly how you seem. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I said, you know, I, my wife and I said yes, we're going to do it, and we moved to Arizona, and we um, we did the coffee company, and I was packaging shit out of my, you know out of my uh, back room. I was delivering it myself. I was uh, doing marketing, social, all that stuff, like one, one person job. And, you know, the great, you know, the silver lining was like, yeah, it was great that we, I was able to do it. The, the back end of it, it was, it didn't end up working after three years. Uh, yeah. Um, That's a hard business. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. You, you know, my mentor, the one I said earlier about that work with, that was a founder of Let Us Entertain You. He would always be like, look, there's copies hard. Yeah. There's, you know, you have to do more than just coffee. And that's what I tried to do, right? Like I, 
I did partnerships with sports uh, athletes, triathletes. I did. Uh, I was able to get my stuff into markets. I was, uh, and I was really proud of all those things because I did it as a one man show with without like that business background. Um, and I learned a lot. And I'm glad that I did it. There's no way in hell that I would go back and do it differently. But then the backside of it was like, oh, shit, now I don't have a job, right? I don't have a job. I don't have a business. And then I don't have a network here in Arizona, right? Like mm, that, uh, yeah, my resume. That, yeah. yeah. For, for as good as I thought it was, like, it didn't mean shit here. Right? Like, right. nobody was yeah. calling me back. Like, right. nobody was calling me. Like, I, there was nobody to ref. I couldn't reference any of my old chef co-workers restaurateurs beverage managers all these people that network that i built in the east coast and in chicago it didn't mean shit here like nobody right. cared here right so it was like i went through a really hard time of like damn what the fuck am i gonna do now like what am i doing with my time and um you know i i you know i see a therapist and she was like look man i i think the biggest thing that's missing in your life is like you've always been a creative guy and you just need to find something that's creative without a monetary value to it and I was like, what the hell does that mean? And she was like, right. well, every time you've always been creative, it's like, it's had, there's had to be some sort of ROI and, you know, there's return on investment for it, right? Like, if you create this, how does it sell in the market? If you create this, how do the fans create to it? How you create this? How do the consumer at a restaurant feel to it? You just need to do something creative for yourself and that's it, right? Like, just so... I started cooking again. And honestly, man, like I hadn't cooked, cooked for years. Like I hadn't cooked for years because it was kind of like, I always say it was like a bad ex-girlfriend. It was like the worst of just being like in that industry and just being heartbroken by it. Right. But then two things really got me into like what I do now, like creating content was a, I was tired of seeing these people that created content online that were really great at editing, but you could tell that they sucked at cooking. And, oh, fuck, oh. yeah. Or making drinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it, it just, it bothered me because I had so many friends in the industry that bust their ass and are still in that grind. And at me being someone that was in that industry, it's not fucking glamorous. It's not easy. Nope. Like, and you could tell in a video, like, who can make a drink, who can cook and who can't and who's really good at editing, right? 100%. And yeah. So I was really like, there was that piece of me that was like really annoyed by that. Like that I was like, you know what, fuck it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in a way that respects the craft, respects my industry, respects like what we do. So I showed like my basis is like, I try to make everything from scratch. Like if I was prepping in the kitchen and I was doing it, but it got me back into the, just being creative and just being like in it and like slowly, like I, it was started for me and still is for me. Like this just a therapeutic thing for me. And it's slowly grown into something else. I don't provide recipes. I don't have a link tree to like here, try this five second, 10 second recipe that you can know. That's not what the shit's for. It's for me. Like I enjoy cooking and I enjoy editing and I enjoy being creative. So what's the, yeah, you, like, tell, tell our listeners, like, exactly what you're talking about. Like, what is it that you're doing? Like, what's the... Yeah, so I basically, I, I like, twice a week, I create recipes that I either learned throughout the way from, like, my industry of people that I met and someone taught me or crazy or just that, or recipes that I created in a restaurant or, or recipes that I cook for my family. And then once a week, I put out a story that's associated with those recipes, right? Like I, I've always been driven in design or in food. 
that everything has like a story connected to it. And that's kind of, I enjoy to write. I've always enjoyed being a writer and, but you know, the educational system always told me that I wasn't a good writer because of my grammar and my dyslexia, but like, this was like the best format to be able to do it where I could create a story and, and people can just hear it versus having to read it. Right. So yeah, I create content and I'm a contributor uh, off and on with other publications, food writing. Um, and it's been absolutely amazing. It's, it's been super therapeutic to, to be back to cooking and creating and it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Like, it, and I didn't think it was going to do that for me. I, I I thought that it was just going to be something for me, and it still is. And I don't want to lose that because when when you get on yeah. social, it's really hard to fucking to do that. And at the end of the day, I'm still trying to respect the industry and respect those that do it on a regular basis. I, I gotta say, man, like you're doing it the right way. You know, like like just talking to you. Like you're doing this properly, and it's it's such a, it's it's so great to talk to someone like you who is, and it's not just about how many fucking followers can I get by editing everything perfectly. So tell our listeners where they can actually follow someone who's doing this for real. Yeah, so my Instagram is Ugo H U G O underscore Gamino G A M I N O, and then my TikTok is uh, Ugo's Cookbook to Life. Um, that's that's the handle. Yeah, so it's it's food that I create, uh, but it's also like stories that have been resonated with me in my life, and those like uh, what's what's inspired me in terms of uh, cooking and the industry. And I try to showcase our industry as best as possible. Um, you know, like there's a story that I that I wrote about the dishwasher, right? Like uh, someone that gets overlooked all the time and just. I, I try to give as much shine to our industry as possible because I personally think that it's one of the hardest industries out there. It's an industry that I think that got hit the hardest in the pandemic. And the grind that I saw of my friends that were still in it is just remarkable. And it's just, it's, it's an industry front of the front and back of the house where you're a polisher or bartender or barback or cook that you put so much time and effort to service other people. And it's the one industry where you like show up to work and you have to put your own fucking emotions on pause to be hospitable to other people that I don't think consumers really understand how hard that can be at times. Right. So it's like, I try to do my best every single time that I put out content with the, the mindset of like, is this, you know, doing our industry justice? Is this giving people like if, if one of my friends, so that's why like to this day, I still don't call myself a chef anymore because I'm not running a kitchen, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I respect the title. I respect the role and of those who are doing it. Yeah, man, that's all I'm trying to do. Just Well, you're doing it right, Ugo. And we really appreciate you coming on the show. This was super fascinating. This was, it was one of my favorite yeah. conversations in a long time. The so, thanks, story. guys. I yeah. appreciate it, man. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah, thanks very much, man. Appreciate you. And we'll, uh, we'll put all the links to everything in your, in our show notes so that people can follow you and follow someone who's doing it right. Sweet, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks, thanks very much. much.